Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you yet again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a spectacular podcast. But you already know that, don't you? My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon, volumes 1 through 8. And if you like a little audio to listen to on your bike ride or in your car, you can get volumes 1 through 6 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And remember, when you purchase a book, it's an indication to me personally that you have interest in what we're doing and you're supporting our show. So why don't you go out and have at it, my friend? And now, may I introduce you to my co-host and actual brother, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How about you? Marvelous, marvelous. I told you we're starting to get into the chill up here in January. Yeah, it's it's Saturday, and I'm out at the coast today. I drove out last night, and it's definitely winter. Uh, very, <laughs> you know, very quiet. It's clear, so the sun is out, but it's in the 30s and windy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's well, it's January, right? I, oh yeah, the end of January. You know, it's kind of or the middle of January, so it's the heat of it, so to speak. Yeah, we're getting there. But listen, I put in my early order. With Burpees, the seed and plant company for my hummingbird plants. Oh, very optimistic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I learned years ago there's a certain grouping of plants that we use for the hummingbirds with, yeah. the, with the feeders and all the other yeah. stuff. But these are uh, black and blue salvias. And I got turned on to them by a nurse practitioner many years ago. And I learned that if you don't put your order in early... Like, if you think you're going to call in May and say, hey, I'd like some black and blue salvias, no go. They're gone. Now, are these, like, small plants that you're ordering? You get little plants. They come, like, in the end of April in a box, and uh, then you transplant them into pots, you know, as soon as you know they're not going to get frozen or damaged. And they grow up to be, like, two or three feet tall with these beautiful little... uh, Black and blue flowers on them, and the hummingbirds love them. Well, I just wrote it down. I'm going to yep. order me some of those when we finish here. Yeah, black and blue salvias, and then another one is the uh, cardinalis, cardinal flower. Mm. Uh, they grow up red, and they're a perennial. So we put them in the garden, 
And they're the only plant outside that stays green at the surface all winter. Hmm. And then uh, at the end of the season, now here we are, Bigfoot show, talking flowers. But what the heck? Yeah, Bigfoot likes flowers, too. Yeah, sure. He likes to eat them. He puts them on. He puts them on the body of his victim. <laughs> a little garnish. <laughs> anyway, everybody likes garnish. He's a bigfoot. Uh, Paula takes the seeds from the cardinalis flowers at the end of the season and kind of spreads them around, and they wow. start to grow all over the place. It's freaking fantastic. All right. So there you cool. go. A little gardening one hundred and one. Awesome. So what do you got today, bro, in our uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities uh, segment? Yeah, we are going to go back under the water this week, Bill. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about Champ or Champy. Ah. Do you know who he is? Well, that's uh, that monster in Lake Champlain, isn't it? You got it. You yeah. got it. In your neck of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near his neck. <laughs> he does have quite the neck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. So, yeah, Champ or Champy, they call him, or the Lake Champlain monster. So, uh, you know, first let's talk and get a, a few facts about Lake Champlain, right? So, of course, we have a lot of lakes in the United States, uh, including the small but mysterious lake of Lake Ronkonkoma. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I'd start there, Bill, because, yeah. folks, that's where we started. That's right. <laughs> was no. in Lake Ronkonkoma. No champ in Lake Ronkonkoma. No champ. Um, uh, so Lake Champlain is also mysterious like Lake Ronkonkoma, but much larger. And interestingly enough, on a lot of the tourism websites, they say it's the sixth largest lake in the U.S., and I did not realize that. Did you, Bill? Not at all. Oh, no. wait. Well, it turns out, guess what? It's not the sixth largest lake. <laughs> well, <there laughs> it says go. it all over the place. And I'm like, that can't be right. And yeah. sure enough, I went and searched it out. And uh, it's, uh, it's not even in the top ten. But yeah. it is big. <laughs> so it turns out, according to the experts on Wikipedia, it's number 13. All right, well. Yeah, which is okay. I mean, it's no slouch of a lake, but I was like, the sixth largest lake? No way. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, and uh, I bring that up because it is a big lake, but in fact, it's about half the size of Lake Iliamna, the one up in Alaska that I talked about a few episodes ago. Okay. Right? So yep. remember we talked about the plesiosaurus-like monster that's up there in that lake, um, it's, it's, uh, that lake is about twice as big and about twice as deep. So towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to contrast the two monsters. So that's important. Okay. Now these are all, uh, these, these are all glacial lakes, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's certainly a natural lake. It's been there, you know, for a very long time. It's not a man-made, there's no dam or anything. Yeah, no, but what I'm getting at is usually the glacial lakes have, Tremendous depth at some point. Yeah, a little point. deeper, carved out, right, by yeah. the glacier moving along. And Lake Champlain, by the way, you know, you might be saying, some of our listeners around the world, where the heck is this lake? Well, it borders the northeastern part of New York State and the northwestern border of Vermont, the state of Vermont. And then on the north end, it borders with the province of Quebec in Canada. 
Yeah, you know what's in another amazing fact, Kev, as we get into uh, the Champ Monster? How many shipwrecks have occurred up there on the lakes? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of shipwrecks. I mean, they're, they're big open water lakes, you yeah. know. I mean, uh, I, I went up there to um, Lake Champlain most recently. I was looking back in the fall of 2019, which seems like 100 years ago in this COVID environment, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, my bride and I went up there, and we were up in the northern part of Vermont, near Stowe, Vermont, beautiful place. And uh, we went up there for an Oktoberfest, and we were drinking some heady Topper beer at the Alchemist Brewery up there, not sponsoring us, but it's okay if you guys want to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, it was super cool. We're out at Oktoberfest, you know, doing uh, polkas and stuff like that, drinking beer. And right next door, they had a pumpkin chucking event. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is just awesome. If you ever, our listeners, if you like Bigfoot, you like, you know, trebuchets and catapults, Throwing pumpkins five thousand feet. So, <laughs> gotta catch, gotta catch one of those after after COVID. Yeah, that would be a Three Stooges episode. Having somebody <laughs> trying to catch them on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, while we were up there, we went into the city of Burlington, which is one of the bigger cities in Vermont, maybe the biggest city. I don't know, and it's right on the uh, shore of Lake Champlain. So you look across, and you're like, and I remember it was a pretty windy night when we were down there typical fall night right chilly and windy up there in vermont and uh there's some good waves coming across so it's a big body of water yeah yeah and uh, apparently uh there's shifting currents and uh opposing waves there's weird stuff going on up there that catches ships so you remember the old uh, song the edmund fitzgerald by gordon lightfoot oh yeah yeah so that was a big boat and that thing got caught Somehow, in the up and down between a couple of uh, surges of waves, and nobody knows. You know, dead men tell no tales. Absolutely. And is that on? Was that on Champlain? Uh, no, I. Uh, One of the other big lakes yeah, up there. I think. I, I, yeah, it just slips my mind now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. But yeah, I mean, you know, you know me. I'm a sailor, Bill, and uh, spend a lot of time out on these big lakes and big bodies of water in general, and it can get nasty in a hurry. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You get caught off guard, you know. You can't underestimate the power of Mother Nature or a Bigfoot. Or so. WJ. <laughs> so, you know, this uh, the sightings around Champ, this monster, I mean, there's hundreds of sightings, and they go all the way back in time. And into the current day. So let's start out that uh, the most common legend of the first sighting came from a gentleman named Samuel de Champlain. And as you would guess, this uh, he was the founder of Quebec. You wouldn't guess that part, but he is the lake's namesake. So the you know the lake is named after Samuel de Champlain. And it's often written about that he's the first one to ever see the monster and that that occurred in 1609. But as you go back and look at this further, you'll find out that this is actually a fake quote. So he was quoted in uh, in a summer 1970 issue of Vermont Life magazine saying that he saw this this thing in 1609. But apparently he never said that. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it might have been the same place where they said it was the fifth largest lake. 
Yeah, and I was just about to say, wow, isn't that interesting? Not. <laughs> Not. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the real sightings. So okay. in 1819, there was a report in the Plattsburgh Republican. So Plattsburgh is another big city on Lake Champlain. Uh, and uh, it was entitled, the article was entitled, The Cape Ann Serpent on Lake Champlain. Wow. And this captain of a ship there, his name was Captain Crum. Interesting name. <laughs> tough, tough life, Captain Crum. <laughs> Not exactly a fearsome pirate name. No, it is first mate apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> ah, stand fast, mate. It's Captain Crum. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. But anyway, Captain Crum, he sighted an (laughs) enormous serpentine monster. And he estimated the monster to have been about 187 feet long. Wow. And it was uh, a couple of hundred yards away from him. He got a good long look at it. And it's interesting, despite the fact that it was pretty far away, right, on the lake, you know, 100, 200 yards, he, he, uh, he said that he saw it being followed by two large sturgeon and some type of billfish. And he said that it had three teeth, like three big teeth, and eyes that were the color of peeled onions. Wow, what a strange description. Exactly. And get this one, it gets better, that it had a red belt of, uh, I'm sorry, a belt of red around its neck, and a white star on its forehead. Well, obviously, he's talking about the star as like a, a patch or a mark. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you'd say a horse has a star on yeah. its forehead. 187 feet long? Yeah. And this is a captain of a ship, you know, so somebody that knows what they're looking at. They know when it's something weird. And also, uh, you know, pretty good at estimating the length of things, right? Yeah, and how? But how reliable is a guy named Crum? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you he know, might not have to work a lot harder because his name is Crum. <laughs> you know what's interesting, though, uh, the fact that there was some other fish trailing this thing, very much like you see fish trailing along with a big shark or something, you know, following yeah. it. Yeah. But that's or I was thinking maybe they were on the, uh, what do they call that, Bill, when you catch the fish and you put them on the uh, piece of rope? Oh, uh, again, I'm stumped. My brain You know, is... you feed it through their gills. Yeah. I was thinking maybe this creature, you know, grabbed a couple of big fish and was just dragging them along next to it. For lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing them back to the house for the other kitties. Oh, so that my... was in 1819. Yeah. And then in 1883... Sheriff Nathan H. Mooney, so a lawman, he claimed that he had seen a water serpent that was uh, about 110 yards long. So picture 330 feet long. Uh, And he saw it from the shore and he said it was so close that he could see round white spots inside its mouth. Wow. Like, who knows what that was? Maybe some kind of fungus? Uh, who knows? Yeah. But again, both of these guys. Now, Kev, before you did this, started this little piece today. Yeah. I've never heard of Champ described in this size. No, no. It's usually, you know, 
I would say definitely bigger than what could be a large sturgeon, you know, so like 30 feet to 50 feet long. Which is huge. Huge, yeah, especially on a lake. Right? Yeah. But these guys, 180, we're talking basically 200, uh, 300 feet uh, 300 long. feet. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't know, you know. And then, so interestingly enough, back in 1873 and 1887, right, the famous showman, P.T. Barnum, right, of the Barnum and Bailey Circus right. uh, later on, he offered big rewards for anyone who could bring him the monster. Yeah, bring so it, it was, to him. Here he yeah, is. Yeah, but I mean, it was making big news, yeah. you know, around the country. Uh-huh. And then the most famous photograph that I think all of our listeners have seen, and you've probably seen, Bill, uh, occurred in 1977. It's known as the Mansi photograph, and it was taken by a woman named Sandra Mansi. She took a photograph while she's on vacation there, and you can see, like, the neck and head of this creature sticking up over the water, and um, it's broad daylight, nice, calm day on the lake, and um, it, you know, it's said that that photograph has been verified by experts, et cetera, as being real. Yeah, you know, Kev, one of the one of the craziest things that I had heard, uh, there was a boatload of people, like a, a a day cruise on the lake. Yep. And a whole crew of people was standing along the rails of this boat, watching this thing close up. That is exactly correct, Bill. So, uh, you know, again, going back years, so, the, so that was on in 1945. Uh-huh. There were passengers on uh, a ship called the SS Ticonderoga, and they were all along the rail during the daytime, and they saw this thing. Yeah, I mean, come on. How do you, how do you yeah. deny that? It's, it's like the Bigfoot thing, you know. You want witnesses. How about 45 people? At the same time. Yeah. They're all missing out on what it is they're seeing. They're seeing tires joined together, floating through the current. I don't think so, you know. No, and what's interesting, so there's been about 600 sightings of Champ that people have reported. So, you know, undoubtedly a lot more than that, right? Sure. And um, they see it, you know, of course, in the water, like these classic sightings. They see it making a large wake and like the bumps on its back going along through the water. So maybe not seeing its head and neck, but making a large wake on a calm day. You know, definitely not a fish, you know, not not the typical fish cruising along, mm -hmm. not a duck or something like that. And um, they also have seen it like in the marsh along the side of the uh, lake. Wow. And a lot of folks, you know, that research champ, they say it's probably uh, some type of reptile um, because they believe it can breathe through its skin like a reptile. So it doesn't have to come up for uh, for air because they also note that Lake Champlain often freezes entirely across. So it would be tough. And again, you know, just like when we talked about the monster of uh, Lake Iliamna, uh, that, you know, there's not one of these creatures. You, right. You can't, right. you can't have one of a creature. Right. Right. And that would also account for the difference in sizes. Could be. Right. Certainly could be. Adults, youngins, you know, middle, middle age uh, creatures. 
You're talking like a southerner now, Bill. Youngins. That's what I'm talking about, youngins, man. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all. <laughs> that was a good use of youngins. That's right. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I ain't, you know, me and my kinfolk, we got youngins all over the place, man. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right. So then, you know, so there's a lot of documentation about this creature out there. And then, you know, one of my new favorite television shows, Bill, I've, I've talked about, and you and I haven't really talked about this one much, but it's uh, uh, Expedition X. Have you seen it? It's relatively new, but it's from Josh. I can't think of Josh's name. You know, uh, Gates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so and, he's he's got these uh, that guy and the girl, the skeptic and the paranormal, and the scientist. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, did you see them go and do the champ investigation? I didn't. No. Yeah. So about a month ago, and you know they they kind of I like the way they approach it because you know she's clearly a believer in whatever could be, so to speak, and he's definitely the skeptic scientist. You know, uh, and he got he he after this. They were on the shore. They were setting up some uh, infrared cameras, kind of game cameras, along the shore. And something was in the marsh and, like, made big noise as it scurried off out of the marsh and into the water. And they went over, and there was, like, a path in the marsh where something huge was dragging itself along that looked like it was, like, four or five feet wide. Four or five feet wide. Yeah, that's the trail. Like, holy! So I mean, it wasn't yeah, like come a on. snapping turtle or something. No, you know, no, something big. Wow. Yeah, and then they were out on a boat and uh, were in an area where this one gentleman—I forget his name—but he is a uh, professional fisherman. So another one, you know, sport fisherman, like with all the sponsor names on his boat and stuff. You know, right? Like a bass fisherman. He saw this thing at one point. And videotaped it on his phone. They showed his videotape on the show, and I'll look for it to post it on our website. There's a lot of video out there, which I'll put up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. But they went over to a spot. He took them. This fisherman led them over in his boat. They were in their own boat, the guy and the girl, you know. And uh, they anchored there off of this little island in Lake Champlain and spent the night there looking for uh, the creature. And they had some kind of encounter with this creature coming up under their boat. Wow. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to be there with something 187 feet long coming up. Yeah, well, even 50 feet long. You know, they were in like a 20-foot boat. Yeah. And, you know, the skeptical guy, he saw it. And he was like, holy cow, what the heck is that? Yeah, no doubt about it, you know. Yeah. And by the way, folks, when Kev lists these links, we've said it before, but the links are generally associated with the episode. Right. So if you go to the episode section of our website, you know, in this case, you go to uh, episode 83, this will be, and uh, you look under it and you'll see a description of the episode and some of the some of the links that are posted. Yeah, Awesome. Yeah, so so I, I promised contrasting this to the Lake Iliana monster, right? So they look kind of similar and similar in length, except for that like 300-foot version, which I'm a little skeptical of. Um, but anyway, they, they, they're similar in length. They look similar. They're compared to plesiosaur, you know, uh, extinct plesiosaur, of course. And then the two lakes. So Lake Iliana is about twice as big. And about twice as deep, being about a thousand feet deep. 
been many sightings up there in Alaska in the middle of nowhere. Now, the lake in Alaska was once connected to the salt water, you know, they believe. Uh Um, And remember, that lake has freshwater seals in it all over the place, which I think it's the only place in the world where they have freshwater seals. And then this lake, uh, Lake Champlain in Vermont, has they found some skeletons of like small whales. Um, not current, you know, not from, from a very long time ago. So kind mm-hmm. of fossilized skeletons. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of they have that in common. Not quite as deep, but of course, a lot more people around Lake Champlain compared to Lake Iliamna. Yeah. And we're talking vast bodies of water, though. Anything could be hiding. No, in and there. also two very cold places in the wintertime, which is interesting, right? Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a very strange phenomena, these. Uh, Sightings of, uh, I hate to keep jumping on the plesiosaur, but a number of them are describing that creature. Absolutely. So let's face it, you know, we all know, most people know what a plesiosaur looks like. So it's interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible, man. Yeah, so it's good stuff. Champ! Champion, champion, and Captain Crumb. (laughs) (laughs) all right bill what do you got for us this week ah well i got something really good but you know what i just had a visual of captain crumb (laughs) and instead of having a cutlass when he's doing a boarding party he's carrying a baker's spatula (laughs) and the crew on the other boat is like the cast of monty python (laughs) <laughs> and they're all shouting at him, I'll spit in your eye. Your mother smells like elderberry. Are they launching cows at him from the Yeah, elderberry? launching, take this, crumb, <laughs> boing. <laughs> you know, when a cow goes over, mmm, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to Bigfoot. <laughs> all right, now listen to me, folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh... This following account was told to me by Dennis Savage, a resident of Minnesota. This is what Dennis had to say. In 1966, I met and consequently married my wife while attending university in Michigan. She was a beautiful blonde of Norwegian descent, and her entire family lived in Minnesota. Two years after both of us had graduated, we tied the knot and were living in Minnesota in reasonably close proximity to most of her family. My father-in-law's name was Sven, and his wife, my now mother-in-law, was named Olga, and the two of them had a really nice homestead located near the North Woods. Sven, my father-in-law, had made a good living as a welder, while his wife was incredibly industrious in and around the house doing everything from making baked goods to raising chickens, some of which were sold to the locals. It was on one Saturday that my wife Sarah and I had gone for a visit, and my mother-in-law was beside herself upon our arrival saying something about all of her chickens in one of the coops having been killed. My father-in-law Sven and I went out by the coop, 
and as we went inside, there were sixteen chickens, all of which were dead, lying about in different areas of the coop. None of them had been eaten. I asked Sven, what the hell kills chickens for the sake of killing and doesn't eat what it kills? He told me it was the work of a single weasel. Sven said that a mature weasel weighing in at only 12 ounces is a killing demon and an adult would be more than capable of taking down every chicken in the coop. He said that it would even take on animals much larger than itself, such as prairie dogs, grouse, and large rabbits. So Sven had decided that we were going to have a trap and kill some weasels in the area, of which there were many, saying that they would be back, including the one who had done the killing. We went down to the local hardware store and picked up four Victor two-trigger traps and returned to the house. The fella at the hardware store said that the best bait for a weasel is a sparrow. And so, as nasty as it sounds, we scattered some seed around in the yard, and the next day we had popped a number of sparrows which were feeding on the ground with a BB gun. As it turns out, a short walk into the woods behind their home was a slough, which is better known to most of you as a wetland. And this was where the weasels hung out, according to Sven. The plan was that the following day, we would go into the surrounding area of this wetland and place the four traps at different locations, hanging them from stumps just off of the ground. And when the weasels came for the sparrows, whammo, we would get them. My wife and I went home that night, and I told Sven that I would return in the morning to set the traps, being more than a little bit excited about this whole weasel affair. In the morning I returned, and the two of us hiked out into the slough to set the traps. Then all we had to do was wait. I should also mention that Sven had said this was the perfect time of year to catch them, in that their fur had turned white and they were actually worth a few bucks as far as their pelts were concerned. Well, as it turns out, we had a light snowfall in the overnight, with about three inches of the white stuff having fallen, as Sven and I set out to check the traps. What happened next was really incredible. Approaching the first trap, there was blood scattered everywhere with the carcass of a weasel laying in the snow. The entire midsection was removed by what appeared to be one large bite. No sooner had we seen the weasel than did we both notice what were huge footprints in the fresh snow by the trap. We could see that they came from the direction of the next trap that we would check and had gone off into the woods to the east. As we now approached the second trap, there was a solid trail of these large bare footprints coming in the direction from where we were headed, indicative 
that whatever had laid them down was there and had come to the trap we were just at. By the way, Sven had said nothing about these tracks up until this point in time. He looked really concerned. As we looked at trap number two, the same scenario played out. A bloodied white weasel was lying in the snow. With the only thing visible other than white fur soaked in red blood was the black tip on the end of its tail. This creature had also been the victim of a single bite being taken out of the middle of its small body, with the rest being left on the ground in the snow. Again, there was a trail of large, bare feet coming to and leading away from the trap site, and we assumed we would find more of the same at the other two traps, which we did. Being the ignorant one, I had thought the tracks were from a large bear, which shows you how much I knew about wildlife. But when I asked Sven, he said, these aren't from any bear, but what exactly they are from is beyond my thinking. I've never set eyes on anything like this in my life. He said that if they were from a bear, it had to be of prehistoric variety with the prints being about 18 inches long and 8 inches wide or better. Many years later, during a conversation with my father-in-law, he had brought up the events, my father-in-law had brought up the events of that day as being signs of a Bigfoot, which at that time he had no knowledge of, and neither did I. The other odd thing, which I know now but didn't then, was the distinctly in, in-line nature in which the tracks had been laid down in the snow, one directly in front of the other, with a huge gap in between the two. It was truly a spectacle to behold. What do you think of that, Kev? Kind of interesting, huh? Super cool. Chasing weasels. Yeah, you know what? And talk about taking advantage of what's set before you. Yeah, we have had other accounts like that too, right, Bill? Not That's necessarily with weasel traps, but right. where trappers uh, were out in the, you know, in the forest and went back to check their traps, and uh, you know, yeah. had evidence of Bigfoot, Sasquatch coming in and taking their uh, goods. Yeah, and you know, if you think about it, men steal other men's traps. Yeah. Right, just human beings will, in a thievish manner, will follow a trap line and say, "Yeah, nobody's around. Let me clip this guy's mink," yep, and go down the line and rob them, and then split. Uh, I mean, they're thieves. Yeah, why wouldn't the Bigfoot, seeing something that is edible, it's free, it's already caught, grab it, have at it, and walk along, see if they can find another one. No doubt about it. You know, it it really it makes sense to me. It sounds weird, but talk about opportunistic. I mean, I would think a bear or a fox or a, a wolf would do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, you find something caught in a trap, even if it's still alive. You're like, ha, 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 can't get away from me, chomp. Yeah, well, you don't even know what it is, right? 
as long as uh, the animal figures out it's not going to hurt them, but to go near the trap, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and it's, you know, taking a bite out of it. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, you know. Single I, large bite. Yeah, and also, you know, the father-in-law uh, and this guy, uh, Savage, had no knowledge of Bigfoot at the time. They're seeing the prince, uh, Dennis being the more ignorant one of the two says to his father-in-law, you know, are they are these bears? And the father-in-law, you know, says, you know, well, if it's a bear, it's a prehistoric monster, basically, because I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, and back in the <coughs> back in the late sixties, right? He yeah. met his wife in nineteen sixty-six. So. Sixty-six. So you know, yeah, uh, I would imagine back then nobody knew what a Bigfoot was, right? Uh, unless you had some you know, Native American people in the area or something to go by. Right. But uh, I don't, uh, by the way, Kev, I have no idea what Minnesota was like in the 60s uh, or where they lived. You know, it could have been a very slim population out there. Well, know? it's a pretty rural place. You know, he talks about the North Woods um, location. I don't know where that is, but I, I know... Uh, Minnesota isn't, you know, the most built-up area in the world, right? No, I believe the Northwoods is bordering Canada. Okay. So, uh, I mean, most of Minnesota is uninhabited. You know, it's yeah, it's another it's one of those quiet. things, Kev, where we think of a lot of people like living in Minneapolis, but you don't have to drive too far from Minneapolis and you're in the middle of no man's land. No, and like I think their tagline is, you know, land of 10,000 lakes, which they say is actually probably 100,000 lakes. Yeah, know? yeah. So, so uh, there's plenty of room out there for things to wander about. Very cool. Yeah, so that's an interesting uh, story there. And, you know, I want to thank uh, the listeners a lot of the listeners know who you are because we've spoken. And for those of you who have a story to tell, uh, have seen something or found some evidence or heard something, go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact link and contact me. And many of our listeners know that I call you and that we have conversations about what it is you've seen or heard or done or heard. Uh, heard from somebody else, and uh, in Volume 9, a number of my conversations with people on our broadcast, Kev, are going in that book. Yep, yep. So there's interesting things going on out there, but nobody knows if you don't talk about them. So no, please. if you see something, say something. That's right, that's right. Good stuff. And speaking of saying something... Uh-huh. We're going to transition over into listener mail. So we we got a lot of uh, emails this week about the caveman encased in ice that showed up in a Minneapolis park. Speaking of Minnesota, uh huh. Yeah, and I don't. Do you see any of these pictures, Bill? I haven't seen anything. I didn't uh, even hear about it. Oh yeah, so it's super cool, actually. So it's it's in line with uh, you know the, we saw these um, stainless steel. Columns show up all around the world, right? Okay. The, the first one we saw was out in Utah. We reported on then Southern Cal, Romania, the UK. I mean, all over the place. But, you know, I, I think that was just people kind of following one another, doing something. This one is not a huge mystery. It's an artist. 
But it's kind of cool. In a snowy Minneapolis park, this guy put what appears to be an upright uh, standing block of ice with a caveman inside of it. It's actually plastic, and he created it, but he put it out in the woods in this park for people to discover. And uh, he says that he's put a couple of more out there, or he may have put a couple of more out there around the area as well for people to discover. So a lot of people wrote in about that, and uh, it's pretty cool. You know, not a not a cryptid, no, uh, not like the classic Iceman that we reported on, but uh, just an artist's creation. Yeah, definitely an oddity. An oddity. Good point. Good point. <laughs> and our, uh, another letter we got in from Mark in Arkansas, and uh, he wrote in about Bigfoot mascots. You know, we've been talking about that a lot, right, lately, Bill? Yeah. And um, he's from the Ozarks in Arkansas, the Ozarks area. And he said, I found your podcast today, and I really enjoyed your show. On one episode, you were discussing team mascots that were Bigfoot. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals are a minor league team for the Kansas City Royals, and their mascot, Strike, draws from the Sasquatch world. <laughs> and uh, I looked him up, and he's pretty cool. You know, he's got like a hairy, hairy-looking guy in a baseball uniform with these huge, hairy feet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is he wearing clogs? <laughs> no or clogs, cr- no or shoes. Or Crocs? <laughs> no Crocs either. No flip-flops. <laughs> you know, it's, cool. it's it's remarkable, Kev, how many mascots now we're finding about out about uh, relative to Bigfoot. It's kind of no, cool, awesome. you know. It's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, and then we hear from Mike from Eastern Kansas, huh. and uh, he writes, "Hi, my name is Mike. I'm from Eastern Kansas, damn near Missouri." <laughs> <laughs> First, I'd like to say I've been listening to your show now for a few months, and I enjoy every episode. It's always something different and great food for thought. I also enjoy your kick-butt sense of humor. Thank you for the work you put into it. I've had a few different encounters over the years, and one of them still bothers me more than the others. I heard some crazy, loud-ass noises that can that I can only describe as maybe a wild pig and a big cat kicking the crap out of each other for a good five minutes, maybe longer. (laughs) It was actually pretty damn scary, so I wasn't keeping track of the time. Have you heard of any Sasquatch making noise like these? It just bothers me because I was only about 30 feet away, sitting on the front porch, listening to these sounds come from the brush line. After, I'm not sure how long of listening to it, I went inside and grabbed a flashlight, and I did some eye. I did see some eye shine, extremely low to the ground and pretty spread out. And I have to say, it's it's this time Bigfoot or any other cryptid, for that matter, wasn't on my mind whatsoever. It's just now looking back on it that makes me wonder about it and what it might have been. Anyways, gentlemen, love your show, and you shouldn't change anything about it because it definitely kicks butt. 
All right, Mike from Damn the Missouri. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for writing in. You know, I, I haven't heard of a Bigfoot making noise like that, but, you know, uh, as I'm sitting here out at the coast, I've, I think I posted the howls of the coyotes. I saw one walking down the street last night, Bill, big one, like a German Shepherd size. And when they go at it in the, in the brush line, which is real close to the front of my house, there's nothing across from the front of my house except the forest. Um, it is it is loud and it is ungodly. Yeah, you know. You mean they're talking about uh, fighting or fighting? Whatever. You know, yeah. attacking whatever they're doing. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Yeah, you know? and I I had read that email, and I said to Mike, ask locally. Right. Uh, what is this? You know, if you don't know, I guarantee you somebody around there. If it's a regular. Uh, inhabitant, a resident creature in the woods. Somebody's going to know what that is. Yeah, somebody else has seen it, right. That's right, and uh, particularly yeah. hunters. Hunters, like, know everything. Avid hunters, they are the go-to people for information in the woods about creatures and sounds and habits. Uh, these guys are a wealth of information. No doubt about it. Yeah, cool, cool. Very cool. All right, and uh, the next email that comes in is from Madeline, and Madeline doesn't say where she's from, but she has some questions for us. Damn near Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) She says, hi, fellas, I just retired. So first off, congratulations, Madeline, on retiring. And I need some guidance from you both before I start my Bigfoot searching. Uh oh. A couple of questions. <laughs> yes. Could there be Bigfoots that are only plant eaters? Or do you think they all eat plants and animals? Why do they sometimes jump and tear up cars but leave people alone who are inside thin tents? Bill, do you think God controls how elusive they are so big game hunters and other hunters can't abuse and annihilate his creation? Lastly, and this one's right up your alley, Bill. What kind of firepower should I take into the Bigfoot territories? <laughs> to be honest, bears and big cats are creatures that I'm concerned about encountering, too. Also, being a woman, I need to look out for two-legged human creatures that may try to give me trouble. <laughs> I'm taking a couple of other women with me, and first rule of our search party... We never separate from each other. Your input is greatly appreciated. <laughs> so what do you think? Plant eaters uh, or uh, omnivores that eat anything? Yeah, you know, Kev, uh, yeah. definitely omnivores. Yeah, eat anything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these guys will predate uh, a pig or uh, eat elderberries as far as I'm concerned, you know. Yeah. Uh, in reference to uh, attacking cars... Uh, Maybe it's a form of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they you know, don't have a treadmill or a Peloton. Yeah, so. you know, so you just want to, you know, you, you go out there and you you approach the uh, 64 V-dub and just start laying into it with forearms and That's right. uh, couple kicks. of them next to one another in the brush line, and they're like, hey, I call dibs on that 64 V-dub. <laughs> And just have at it, you know? Exactly. A couple of karate chops to the roof, blow the windows out, scare the the, uh, inhabitants of the car a little bit, and then move on. Yeah. And then uh, (laughs) how about firepower, Bill? What do you think? 
Oh, you definitely, uh, you know, Kev, obviously, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Right. So That's right. My rule of thumb is a pump-action 12-gauge, plenty of shells, and a large heater on your hip. Exactly. And I'm yeah. not talking hand warmer. Maybe an AR-15 with a laser scope, too. <laughs> Whatever you can muster up, as long as it doesn't break your wrist when you're shooting it. With some heavy grain powder cartridges. Yeah, you know, Madeline, uh, pretty nervy with her uh, her little troop of uh, lady friends uh, looking to go out and uh, hunt for Bigfoot, you know. Hey, uh, you know, you should be working her whole life. Maybe she's been working in an office, wants to get out there and see some stuff, you know. Yeah, I wish I pretty knew her cool. address. I'd ask her to sign me onto her will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> she oh could boy. be worth something, you know. I might as well take advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. And our last email comes in from Joel from Florida. And he says, Hey, guys, I just want to let you know what a terrific job you're both doing. Your podcast is the first thing I listen to every Monday morning when I start work. I am a pest technician in St. Augustine, Florida and spend a lot of time on my own listening to headphones while I crawl around into all the small spaces that normal people are too sensible to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No <laughs> I haven't it. seen any cryptids personally, but I've always got my eyes open for a skunk ape down here. <laughs> yeah, man, I'll tell you what. These guys that and gals that are these pest technicians, and they crawl around in these crawl spaces, especially in Florida. Uh. Like, oh, my God. Like, Snakes. Oh, and now they got the pythons down there. And oh, the, man. Oh, my God. No, I mean, yeah, you are brave as anybody, Joel. You might as well go tackle a Bigfoot if you hang around in crawl spaces. <laughs> Black widow spiders oh, dangling yeah. around you. Oh, man, just scorpions, you name uh, it. Oh. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know how. God no, bless I don't know them. how they do it. You know, yep. I mean, it's hats off to him. So, so Joel writes, he says, you guys have inspired my daughter and I to try to start a podcast about spooky St. Augustine stories and experiences. I was wondering how you reached out to people for them to email you with their experiences. Thank you guys for making my Mondays great. Stay safe, stay warm, and always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. So, so Joel, first off, hats off to you and your daughter. I hope you try it out. Um, you know, it's not that hard, and it is a lot of fun, as you can tell. And uh, it's a little shocking. You know, when we started, I thought we'd have five listeners, and it's quite crazy how many people listen to us. And, of course, we're... We're crazy in a good way, and we appreciate everyone that downloads and listens to the podcast. Um, but it's not that hard to do, and you know, just put some thought into the format. You know, download uh, some of the uh, open software tools out there, like Audacity, where you can record it and uh, publish it. And you know, in terms of, we had an advantage with the uh, stories and uh, uh, um, feedback coming in to us because Bill had written all those books before we started the podcast. Um, so, you know, that's that's a little bit of the tricky part, but maybe you and your daughter could take a guess at what people might be asking um, before uh, you start getting uh, letters in. I think you could probably anticipate some of the questions people would ask. Yeah, and also it's very important, uh, particularly in paranormal work, it's a little easier, uh, in my opinion, 
first of all, you have to chat up what it is you're doing mm. and make it a topic of conversation basically wherever you go. I mean, you have to be kind of like a politician stumping for the office. If people don't know you're into the paranormal, nobody's going to talk to you about it. No, it's pretty funny, Bill, you mentioned that because I was on uh, this week. We had our virtual annual fleet meeting for the type of sailboat that I race, a little sailboat, folks, mm-hmm. a dinghy, as they call them. And uh, a couple of the folks uh, in my fleet know that I do this podcast. But most of the folks, you know, especially because we haven't been around them face to face, they don't know. And uh, one of them at the end of the meeting said, you know, Kevin does that podcast about Bigfoot and other cryptids and oddities. And, you know, people were like, get out of here. You know, so they started asking me what we what we did the last one on. And and then they started talking about stuff that they've seen. Uh, So it's exactly what you're saying, Bill. Yeah, it's remarkable. When you open your mouth, as long as you don't care about the ridicule, you don't have thin skin, there's stuff going on out there. <laughs> I mean that people literally all over the place have experienced in their lives that you're never going to know about unless you have the courage to begin the conversation and stand your ground and just listen to them like a news reporter. Exactly. Uh, ask questions, talk about the area, uh, what house was haunted, what did they see, how long did it go on? I mean, I could jump right into the paranormal if I wanted to tomorrow uh, and begin this whole thing all over again relative to uh, ghost schools and goblins, you know, but it's not my thing. Right. Uh, I have interest in it, and we would talk about it in uh, other oddities, uh, uh, but our focus is predominantly on the Bigfoot. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. And Joel, by the way, you know, if you really want to, if you're really serious about with your this with your daughter, um, you know, send a, send another email over uh, to me, and uh, I can give you a call and help you really get started. Tell you some of the tools you need and stuff like that, because that's how we got started. We asked people advice that were doing it already. Absolutely so, cool. And folks. That's it for this week. Another great episode. Um, we thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Your, your emails are fantastic. And uh, please give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast player as you're listening now. And those five-star ratings are critical to our success because it is virtually the only means of other folks finding out about the podcast is because we have so many five-star ratings. And the more listeners we get, the more we're able to continually improve the quality of the podcast. So give us five stars and thank you and continue to be safe out there. Yeah, and folks, please go out and buy one of the books or two or three or give them to a friend as a gift, a present. It's a show of support uh, for the show and what we're doing. And by the way, if you're like Madeline and deciding to go out for a little romp in the woods looking for the hairy man, just remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.